Welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson. And our guest today is Adam Ronke, wildlife biologist for Mississippi State University. On today's show, we look to the skies. We'll spend the hour discussing the fall birds that call Mississippi home and how you can prepare your yard for the upcoming winter migration. What birds are migrating to Mississippi this year, and how can we attract wildlife to our yards? What's more important, food, water, or shelter? We'll answer those questions, and as always, Dr. Major's here ready for your pet questions. Join our conversation this morning with a phone call. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven six seven two. 7464. You can email the show animals at mpbonline.org. And we always like to remind you that if you miss Creature Comforts on Thursday mornings, it repeats every Saturday morning at 6. So good morning, gentlemen. Hope everyone is doing well this morning. Doing good. Doing good. good. Uh, Libby is out. I think she mentioned that she's visiting her grandson in Oregon, if I remember correctly. Uh, So with us today is Adam Ronke, wildlife biologist. Adam, Good to have you back. Been a while since your last visit, but always good to have you with us. Yeah, I had to go into hiding the last couple of years <laughs> uh, to wrap up a degree and a couple other projects for work. So direct orders from my wife and, and uh, several bosses. So, But uh, good to be back and out of, out of the hole, as they say. Uh, so. so since it's been a while, if you would, uh, r- remind us of your background and, and how you got interested in your line of work. Yeah, I just uh, actually just started my 14th year, which is hard to believe uh, here in Mississippi, but originally from western New York or Rochester, New York. Uh, I went to uh, Syracuse, uh, SUNY ESF, it's called, uh, environmental school, uh, then went to Penn State and then came down here to work and just wrapped up my uh, dissertation here at Mississippi State uh, University while, while uh, working for the Extension Service. Uh, but I'm a wildlife biologist by training, uh, but I mostly work with humans now and uh, trying to help them understand wildlife uh, and the good, bad, and ugly. Sometimes they can come with that. Uh, but I work with landowners, homeowners, uh, kids, uh, Basically, from from the beginning of time to 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 the to the grave, I work on different issues with, uh, uh, especially being birds, but also uh, other wildlife on other conservation issues. But do a lot of education programs. Probably my biggest one is the Master Naturalist program, which we've talked about before in this program. Um, and actually, Libby took our took our program. She should have been teaching it. She's uh, so experienced <laughs> in it, but uh, she is an alumni from that program. So I, I have a good time uh, doing that, educating uh, and and getting educated uh, from our our folks here in the state. Uh, but you know, much like uh, the state of Mississippi has great natural resources, uh, your part of the country, the the Northeast, they are also kind of a different uh, outdoors, but still great outdoor uh, activities and opportunities in 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 New York. Oh yeah, yeah, and some of them I miss dearly, especially this time of year. It's uh, it hasn't snowed enough uh, there yet to uh, start skiing, but there are there are. Uh, snow-covered peaks in the Adirondacks and things like that right now, and I, th- I think there's more snow coming. I heard that the UP of Michigan is supposed to get like 9, 10 inches this mm. weekend, so it's almost that time of year. That's probably the thing I miss the most outside of family is, is well, some of the food, too. I, I do miss the, <laughs> some of the food and the apple cider this time of year, but uh, um, is uh, skiing, downhill skiing. So um, see, it's, uh, that always made me laugh when I moved here, everyone – referred to it as snow skiing back at home we call it skiing but down here you guys refer skiing to as water skiing and we call it water or you guys call it skiing we call it water skiing back at home so it's funny all the little things you learn living somewhere else so Uh, my mom lives in oneonta upstate new york and uh, every time i call up 
she asks me what the temperature is, and she moans because it's usually 10 or 15 degrees cooler there uh, in New oh, York. Oh, easily, uh, easily, yep. Yeah, she said uh, it was. It, it's not bad. We, we got the highs into the 50s, and I'm thinking it was just 80 here last week. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Hey, uh, you've got some uh, events. Libby normally does that, but she gave you some events to share with us, so if you would, go ahead. Yeah, uh, this is for a couple things. We'll start off with the museum. Uh, most, uh, I guess, close to, to today is uh, November 20th from 10 a.m. to noon is an event uh, that they've hosted for years called Turkey Tuesdays. Um, it's going to uh, be a, a, a wild event uh, with live turkeys, uh, including a turkey vulture also to learn about the differences and similarities between those birds. Uh, you're going to learn about the eggs. And also, I believe it's going to be Adam Butler uh, – from the agency who's been on this program before. It's a great biologist talking about wild turkey uh, conservation. Um, I'm actually going to be there with my son, and my uh, my father and stepmother will be in town uh, that day, so I get to experience it finally this year. Um, but uh, if you're interested in that, um, call the museum at 601-576-6000 for more information uh, as far as the admission uh, charges and, and uh, membership mm-hmm. uh, information with that. Also, the In the Dark uh, exhibit is still here, uh, but only here until December 31st. So it's a little shorter than the traditional time. So it's a great exhibit. Uh, it was especially fun for the Halloween event they had a couple weeks ago uh, at the museum. Very well attended. I think they had two or 3,000 people at that hmm. event, uh, which was great. Uh, Park After Dark is what that was called. So it's a great exhibit to go check it out. It's good for the whole family, um, young, young and old. So... Uh, next would be Jackson Audubon uh, has uh, their monthly bird walk, which is coming up uh, December 1st um, uh, at LaFleur's Bluff. Um, and also there is an event coming up um, this weekend, I believe it is. If you Google Jackson Audubon, um, you will see that there is a field trip to Mahana this weekend. Um, so that's coming up pretty quickly. Probably need to touch base with them, I would say, today or tomorrow to watch what the weather is going to be like um, and get the directions for that. But that's all on their website. Just go to Jackson Audubon uh, on Google, uh, Jackson, Mississippi Audubon, because if you do Jackson Audubon, you'll end up out west. <laughs> so just make sure you catch that. And then, that, and then on the, to represent the whole state, on the coast, there's a couple events uh, coming up uh, December 4th, uh, Life in Costa Rica, uh, I believe this is with the Coastal Audubon, uh, is an international exploration of molt in neotropical migrant and resident land birds with Katie Barnes from Birmingham Audubon. So that sounds like that's going to be a neat event. And there's some other events going on also tied with um, uh, the center down on, on the coast. So just uh, Google uh, Coastal Audubon and you'll see all the events they have coming up. Uh, a friend of mine and I went to In the Dark uh, this last weekend, so it was a lot of fun. Uh, we both there was this little um, interactive thing where you try to use uh, echolocation like a bat does, and so you mm-hmm. uh, we both flew into the wall very quickly. So neither one of us would have made good bats, <laughs> that's for sure. And as always, you know, like Libby likes to remind folks. Um, the regular stuff that goes on at the museum. I love going through uh, the aquaria there. Um, we fortunately there was uh, a, a live baby alligator that was you know yep. be, not on his own but was roaming through the museum, and then uh, went out on the the uh, nature trails. And man, it was a nice sunny day uh, last Saturday. So just a great time of year. And again, if you can't get out, if you're not in the central Mississippi area and can take advantage of the museum's nature trails, just you know get out at this time of year because it's just a, such a a wonderful 
wonderful time when we have these sunny days when it doesn't rain, uh, just a little bit cool. Uh, so before it gets to be too cold, when you know winter hits, uh, this is a great time to enjoy the great outdoors in Mississippi. I agree. There's plenty of places to go across the state between uh, National Forest, uh, National Park Service, state parks, uh, private areas. Uh, there's tens and tens and hundreds of thousands of acres to enjoy so this is the time of year i like to get out uh, uh also uh outside of just uh, going out for hunting season but uh, just to enjoy the outdoors and we're finally getting some leaf uh, color change here mm-hmm. in deep south so it's good to see uh and you mentioned the monthly bird walk uh, that uh, jackson audubon is having december 1st is that a good way if someone is not familiar with bird watching and wants to kind of get involved and begin to appreciate nature a better way are those bird walks a good beginning thing i would say it's probably the best way to uh, begin bird watching um it's the uh, it's the best way and also the easiest way because uh, bird watching can be uh, sometimes a little frustrating especially the little warbler species and things move so fast and learning for, the first thing i always tr- uh, try to teach people and we do this in master naturalist uh, class uh, regardless of how long they've been bird watching or using binoculars You'd be surprised how many pair of binoculars never see the light of day after their first month of uh, life in a, in a new home because um, people didn't read the directions or just simply don't know how to operate them correctly. It's not anyone's fault. Believe me, my own parents and everyone had uh, several pairs, but almost all these binoculars were blamed for not working. I've had people come to the class with three pairs of binoculars. You're talking like $1,500 worth of binoculars, and they all work. They just they didn't know how to do it correctly. So you can learn how to use your binoculars, which will ease a lot of the frustration because you can actually see through it and not seeing all the little dark spots and seeing four things uh, with your eyes. Um, but then um, getting cued in on... Oh, that's a little bit more than just a, a sparrow. That's more than just a dove. You know, there's species names, and there's no better way of learning than with someone that's uh, uh, an expert leader at it. And all of Jackson Audubon's leaders are, are very good. So, um, but uh, there's other Audubon societies all across the state. So from Starkville uh, down to the coast, Meridian. Um, and there's birders all across the state, and you can simply get onto some of these these birding groups and find folks, and they're more than willing to join you to go out uh, or, or to, to, to teach you the, the basics of it. Uh, that's the nice part about bird watching. There's a very strong community here in Mississippi. Okay. Uh, we need to take our first break this hour. When we return, we'll talk about fall birds of Mississippi with our guest, Adam Ronke, and Dr. Majors here ready for your pet questions. Give us a call this morning to join our show. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 7464 Or you can send an email. It's animals at mpbonline.org. During the break, see if you can identify this bird of Mississippi just by its call. We'll have that for you, and we'll have the answer for you after the break. So stay tuned. MPB would like to thank Daniel, Coker, Horton, and Bell and the Mississippi Healthcare Alliance for underwriting MPB programs. Your company can be an underwriter, too. Find out more. Go to mpbonline.org slash underwriting to find out how. Welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. I'm Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major and our guest for today, Adam Ronke. Uh, We are talking about birds today and taking your pet question uh, so if you want to join the conversation with your questions and comments, give us a call. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. 672 
888-346-7464 or email the show animals at mpbonline.org. You have a pet question. If you want to tell us what you're seeing in your yard, if you've seen a bird that you don't know and want us to help you try to identify it, or if you have a brush with wildlife, any of your encounters uh, when you're out and about enjoying the great outdoors in Mississippi, uh, give us a call. We'd love to hear from you today. So before the break, uh, we wanted to see if you could identify the bird just by its call. We'll listen again, and then Adam nailed it, so we'll let him uh, reveal who it is. But let's give folks one last chance. Let's listen to the bird call again. That's interesting to me, just as an observation. It sounds like he's a little reluctant to do his song, and then once he gets it, he's like, okay, I can do it. So, well, <laughs> That's a good description. I like it. Yes, uh, we, we have uh, what we call uh, handles to, to try and remember all the different songs. A lot of people uh, wonder, how do you keep all that stuff in your head? A lot of it is it's experience, and you get better as the season goes on. You'll always be a little rusty in the spring when these birds uh, – uh, come back, but I remember that one. It's kind of a wait, 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 wait yo. I can't really do it real well. I'm not. I, I'm not going to sing. That's as close as I'm going to get to it. But um, that is a hooded warbler. Um, mm-hmm. Beautiful uh, bird, perfectly named, uh, bright, bright yellow, and actually has a black uh, looking hood to it. Uh, the head's black and uh, comes down a few. Uh, you can uh, Google that, or if you've got a, a Merlin app or any of the other birding apps, or your or go old school and actually open a, a field guy and just look up a uh, hooded warbler if you're listening. It's a it's a great bird, very common here uh, in the spring and summer. So okay, that was a good bird to start with. Uh, first thing in the morning, there he's trying to <laughs> trying to throw me off. Nothing biologists love nothing more than to be uh, questioned on the radio without knowing what's going on. So so keeping me on my toes, I like it. All right, uh, we have got a caller on the line. Nathan's in Tupelo with a pet question for us. Uh, Nathan, you're on the air with us, so go ahead, please. Hey, guys. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Uh, I just had a really quick question. Uh, I've got a new puppy. He's a great Dane. He's about 10 weeks old, and I can't seem to come to a consensus about what his weight should be at this age and how much food I should be feeding him. I took him for his second vet appointment, and he was uh, 21 pounds, and I've heard that he should be heavier. I've heard that he's right where he's supposed to be, and I just, like I said, I can't figure out how much I need to be feeding him every day. Okay, first of all, I would suggest certainly get a large breed food, puppy food, which you probably already have. Yes, sir. And uh, I suspect a puppy that age, and not knowing the parents, this is a hard thing to, for me to tell you as far as its size. But yeah. I doubt if he, you said eight weeks old? Uh, he's 10 weeks 10 old. 10 weeks old. I doubt if he should be any heavier than that at this age. Uh I think a lot of people want to feed them the maximum that they will eat. There's no reason not to feed them uh, uh proper amount. And I, I don't know how much you're giving to this food, but probably a cup and a half twice a day. But it depends on the analysis of the food as well. A lot of times on the bag of food, they will give you a figure as far as how much they should take in that's higher than the puppy really would need. Uh I found that to be true, but how much are you feeding this puppy now? I'm doing about three cups a day, spaced out over three meals. So I do okay. uh, one cup three times a day. So you're doing about what I said, uh, a cup and a half twice a day, or three. Uh, you can give one cup three times a day, and I think three feedings a day, if you're able to do that, is fine. Uh, I would gradually increase the food intake. Uh, if he's cleaning it up, uh, definitely increase it slowly. 
but okay. uh, don't do it all at once. I think probably that weight is an excellent weight at this point. I've uh, okay. got a Great Dane puppy that's coming in into the clinic regularly, and uh, that's probably about the same size at that age that this puppy was. Okay. Awesome. Okay. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. You thank you. Thanks for the call, Nathan. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Today we're visiting with Adam Ronke. He's our guest talking about uh, the birds that we might see in Mississippi this time of year. And Dr. Major's here ready for your pet questions, so give us a call. The phone number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Send an email to animals at mpbonline.org. So, Adam, when we talk about Mississippi this time of year, are there hot spots to where you would see birds being more active, or are we fortunate enough that we've got bird activity throughout the state? Yeah, we we really do have bird activity throughout the state, uh, typically this time of year. Um, and when I was thinking about this, we had not received three and a half, four inches of rain. <laughs> um, during the drier times in later fall, September, October, you typically want to get near the water bodies. Um, so if you're out in the Delta, any flooded fields or borrow pits, the rivers, um, but still even here in Jackson and other parts of the, of the state, um, if you can get near water bodies this time of year, typically the, the leaves will hold longer and there's going to be more fruit and berry production. Uh, insect activity will be up because the moisture level will be up. Now, obviously everyone's a little moist now after all this rain, but typically those are going to be the hot spots. Birds, they're not only using... Uh, those waterways as navigation guides as they migrate through. And most of our birds have pushed through already from, from the north, so we're getting a lot of our winter residents. In fact, I just heard our our first white-throated sparrow about a week and a half ago in our backyard. So that's a good indication that we're, we're well into it and they're setting up residency for the winter. But um, we'll still get some birds pushing through. But I would uh, definitely focus on water bodies, reservoirs, uh, 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 river areas, down on the coast and you get out into the flats, you'll see a lot of different waterfall and wading birds. Um, and especially for beginning birders, that's usually where I take you anyways because they're bigger birds. They don't flit around as much uh, like warblers do and drive you nuts. Um, and they're also colorful. So it's a, it's a good time to get out and, and see that. So Okay. Uh, you mentioned the sparrow. What are some other kind of uh, birds that we're, are, are coming in and, as you say, making uh, Mississippi their winter home? Yeah. So, you know, let's take it from the backyard perspective because that's where most people are looking. So, um, you know, more of your traditional feeder birds. So uh, most people call them red birds here, but the northern cardinal is going to be your steadfast uh, companion throughout the whole year, but really starts showing up and really starts sticking out, particularly if we get a snow uh, in the winter, um, they'll really start sticking out. You have the male and female, so the male being red and, and the female being a flashy, a little bit of flashy red, but mostly brown uh, still. But you'll have your Carolina chickadees, uh, which do the little chickadee-dee-dee-dee uh, call, and they're very uh, common uh, feeders. Uh, but you have your nuthatches. I actually had my first red-breasted nuthatches, which is one that migrates down uh, this uh, area of the country. Uh, but we also have our white-breasted nuthatch um, and then and some others. So you have um, your morning doves. Uh, you'll have some other doves, white-winged doves in some areas of the state. Um, but also your towhees, your eastern towhees, those little guys that are – if you ever come home and you just you just blown off your driveway and all this stuff and you, all of a sudden you come back and there's leaves kicked out all over your driveway, <laughs> you're like, what was that? 
and you don't own a dog, chances are it's a towhee <laughs> or a thrasher kicking around looking for invertebrates or worms, this and that. Um, those are here all year round, but they start becoming more pronounced because all the other flashy ones are gone, and they start becoming more active searching for food. Uh, so those will be a lot of your common uh, common birds. And then as we really get into the uh, wintertime, our juncos, uh, the little gray slate gray birds will start showing up. And when they fly away from you, uh, you'll see flashes of white on their on their tail feathers, and that's how you can tell it's a junco from a, from most sparrows. So those are our common birds this time of year. Okay, uh, and Dr. Major, I know that some people have birds as pet, different sorts of birds, but birds make good pets as well. Do you see a lot of uh, birds come through your clinic? A fair a fair amount. We had a uh, really nice lovebird in yesterday, and I've always said that lovebird is a misnomer. Uh, the only reason I think they got that name is because if you have a group of them, they all sit together. Uh, but they have a pretty good little bite for a small bird. This was a, this was a very nice one though. And, uh, I was really impressed with how that little bird did, but, uh, we do see, uh, a fair number of parrots, uh, this sort of thing. Uh, occasionally we'll be asked to look at a bird that's, uh, a native bird that's been hit by a car or run into a window and then we try to find someone to rehab uh there are some rehabbers around that will take care of a of a bird but uh unfortunately a lot of times these birds are beyond help but uh so we see all kinds of birds so adam if uh, someone is out maybe out and about in nature and and sees an injured bird is it a good idea to try to rescue it or would it be better to try to get someone who's a little bit more knowledgeable to handle it yeah, this is this is uh, where I typically I'm going to get phone calls after after the radio show. So <clears throat> my biologist's answer to that is typically we like to let nature take its course in all in in most scenarios. Now, I've been doing this long enough that I know people have an urge to help, and I don't want to squash that urge to help. But sometimes that urge to help is misplaced. Uh, particularly in the springtime of year with nestlings and things like that. Uh, so I'll try to walk people through that. But uh, in general, you know, if you have a bird that you can tell or you just heard the thump on your window, which will become more of an issue this time of year because reflection will change on windows as leaves fall and the sun direction changes. Um, in fact, I had a bird hit my window at my house this, this past weekend. Um, you know, you can examine that bird. Sometimes it kills them instantly. Sometimes it becomes stunned. And in that sense, and Dr. Major, correct me if, if I'm wrong here, um, if you can see that they're still moving uh, but they're, they're obviously not totally with it, my recommendation is to put them in a, a dark, uh, ventilated shoebox or something of that fashion away from noise, let them kind of recuperate, and a lot of times they will recover and fly away in that sense. I will I will tell you, uh, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, Dr. Major, um, if, if the wing is broken, a wild bird is pretty much it's done for. Um, it's not going to survive real well. Right. Um, we also have some good rehabbers across the state, but they'll even say in a lot of cases if it's a broken wing. I know when I'm uh, cap- capturing birds uh, for uh, research, if the wing gets broken in that process, usually we have to put the, right. the bird down. Um, but I have many birds, including my, my mother's own little zebra finch back at home, uh, where I had to amputate on Christmas Eve because he got his, his leg caught yeah. in the thing. Yeah. There's a lot of one-legged birds around this world that do just fine. Right. Maybe the wading birds and things like that may struggle a little bit more with it, but the, 
main thing is if they have a, a broken wing, it's usually not going to end well for for that that bird. So, am I somewhat correct I think, in that? I think you're very very correct with that. Uh, the stunned bird. A lot of times, if you go get that shoebox, by the time you get the shoebox, <laughs> the bird is gone. That's right. Uh, they they just like us, I guess, running into the wall or having an accident. Uh, I have amputated birds' wings before, and uh, they've done quite well. But these have been domestic. That's right. Uh, there's a classic case, and it's been a while. But there was a, a goose that was uh, the barnyard goose, mm-hmm. and he enjoyed chasing the horses out of the uh, <laughs> out of the uh, paddock, and he literally would grab the horse's tail and flap his wings, <laughs> and yes, the horse would get out. So he had a broken wing, and uh, we amputated that. He rehabbed good. He was a little difficult in the water. <laughs> he kind of list. That's right. And then it happened again. So he had two wings that were amputated simply because he would not give up chasing the horses out. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that, that, and make sure I uh, be real clear. What I'm talking about is wild birds. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, domesticated right. animals, both as pets and, and uh, farm animals, are complete different, different. Uh, animal pun right. intended there um and <laughs> right. i don't i don't usually get in that realm i turn that over to dr major or our other vets uh, the, the extension service and we do have a lot of good wildlife re- rehabbers uh, around the state so you can always reach out to them for support the one thing i will say is when you particularly have a stunned bird that's typically the most common interaction with birds um is don't try to instantly start try to feed them or, or put in water and a lot of times just put them in that dark spot let them relax or like dr major says by the time you find the box a lot of times they're gone and keep your animals and your dogs and your cats away from them in that in that stage um also will help okay uh let's take another break when we get back we've got some callers on the line to get to and we have time for your call as well today uh, you can give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring it's one eight seven seven. Let us know what birds you're seeing in your yards. Dr. Major here, ready for your pet questions. Uh, And also, we will have another bird call for you to identify, so see if you can name the bird making this call. We'll have the answer for you after the break, so stay tuned. Welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. I'm Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson. Libby Hartfield is out today, so we have a guest in studio. It's Adam Ronke, wildlife biologist for Mississippi State University. Uh, if you miss any of today's program or a previous show, you can always subscribe to the podcast using any podcast app for your smartphone, or you can download the MPB public media app, and then you can listen to MPB Think Radio programs on your schedule. Uh, so before the break, we played another bird call. We'll let you listen to it again, and then we'll have Adam tell us what it is. Okay. Took a little wind out of uh, Java sail <laughs> with that one. Uh, it kind of got in front of him on that, but that would be your uh, chickadee, your Carolina chickadee. Okay. Uh, which there is a black-capped chickadee, which when I first moved down here sounds very similar, but it is a little different. Um, and the people that live in the Virginia area where they overlap, it can really be uh, confusing because they look almost exactly the same. But here uh, in Mississippi, that would be your Carolina chickadee. Okay. Probably the, one of the, the most, probably in the top three most common birds you'll see at your bird feeder. So, 
little black and white guy, charcoal gray in the back, flies down, grabs one black old sunflower seed, flies up to a branch and sits there and hammers it and gets <laughs> it out and then does it all over again. All so, right. Slow and steady wins the race. That's right. <laughs> uh, got a couple calls to get to. Let's start by going to Beaumont. Our friend Sue is on the line. Good morning, Sue. You're with us on the air. Hello. I, I'd like to ask Adam a question. I, I've often wondered why do birds migrate. It, it seems like it's ingrained in their DNA to migrate, I suppose, for food sources. But what if global warming caused food supplies to be available year-round? Would they still uh, want to migrate for some reason? Uh, so kind of getting to your first part of your question is uh, without we, we've done a whole show before on bird migration. Um, and the short answer is yes, it, it is uh, very much ingrained uh, is a good way of putting it uh, without getting into all the weeds of uh, technical details. But um, um, many, many birds uh, migrate. But there's also a lot of birds that uh, don't migrate or they migrate differently. Out west, birds will migrate coming down slopes. So they'll come down from higher elevation in, in, in the summertime and come down to the lower valleys. Um, and a lot of that is based on uh, food resources. So they migrate north uh, from the tropics in, in southern United States and also, you know, obviously uh, Central and South America to um, uh, take advantage of that food source um, and also to have larger nesting uh, opportunity uh, in the north. Now there's a lot of risk built into that because you may not make it and it costs a lot of energy to do that um, and then it's kind of the reverse of going back towards uh, the south in the winter uh, they're taking advantage of those resources during that time of year and also avoiding uh, the cold weather climate and reduced food resource here um, but then we have our resident birds like the chickadees and wood, uh, some of our woodpecker species things like that that their their life strategy is stay put you know, I'll, I'll be here all year round. I'll have the first first dibs on everything. <laughs> um, and then the birds that are really something are the ones in Canada and in New York, things like that, that stay year round and, and fight off the, the cold uh, with that. Another great example of an interesting migration, if you want to call it that, it's more of a habitat shift, is uh, one of people's favorite birds is American robin. I always get calls, where did my American robins uh, go? Uh, well, up north, a lot of them do migrate down south, but here in the south, what they typically do is they will shift habitat. So in the spring, you'll see them out in your front yard with their chest out and the males beating the snot out of each other, trying to set up their territory. But then as the summer progresses and breeding is over with, in this time of year, a lot of hunters will actually see them because they'll be in these bottomland hardwood areas or these river areas. Um, the nature center near my house in Clinton, they'll be in the wooded areas flitting around and digging for worms and invertebrates there, and you won't see them in your backyard. So people think they migrated. They've actually just shifted to a different habitat because of their food source. Short answer on the global warming. That's why we're doing a lot of surveys, uh, uh, eBird and a lot of these other national surveys and, and some other scientific surveys that I do called the Breeding Bird Survey is try to see if their, their timeline is shifting, if they're coming earlier or later and how that is affecting it. Short answer is yes, we are seeing some effect with that. To what extent that will be, um, we don't know fully yet, but there will be an effect on it, and we are seeing some birds starting to shift their dates without getting into a lot of specifics. Okay. Thank you. All right, Sue, good good question. Thanks for the call. Next, uh, we've got uh, Mikey from Mobile on the line. Mikey, good morning. Go ahead. Hey, good morning. Um, first of all, uh, I found something when I had a lot of cats and other neighbors' cats, whether I wanted them or not, um, that, that helped with uh, when the, the bird hits the window thing, that using a, a, an inexpensive plastic garden pot, that's a hanging pot, 
and particularly this time of year, you can find them on sale. Put the bird in it, hang it up. You know, at least it's going to take the cats a while if they figure out that it's there at all. <laughs> good, good and, thought. And the other, the other thing is that I've do, I just found something else. Now, um, uh, these are called screensavers, but it's not like the, the kind of screensavers that you guys deal with <laughs> down there at the broadcasting station. These are things that you put over where you get a hole in your screen. And um, because, again, this is something that is on super sale right now. Um, I suggest you check the discount stores. Um, uh, they come in shapes like hummingbirds and butterflies. What they are is two pieces of decorative metal that have a magnet in between them. They are, I've installed one over a hole in the screen. Extremely easy to install. My question about that is, will something like that deter the birds from coming? Unlike a mirror, which is like, a, a, you know, the sunlight hitting a window, or in addition to that, will that deter the birds, some, from hurting themselves? Yeah, so that is one of the recommendations that uh, I and others typically uh, do use. I, I know there's been research on it. Uh, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but uh, I know the Natural Science Museum has a lot of glass uh, on, on one side of their building, and they have uh, the silhouetted images uh, of birds and other critters on it to try and break up that. So it's not just the in the springtime a lot of times it will be the mirror effect because I get calls all the time that Male cardinal beating the snot out of himself because uh, he sees his reflection. A lot of the window strike uh, issues that we see is actually the birds are not picking up the window at all, um, and they see that as an open space and flying through it. Um, there's been a lot of stuff in the paper about uh, you know a lot of these. There's so much glass put into buildings now because people want open airspace. Minnesota Vikings mm-hmm. uh, uh, Stadium got a lot of grief from from Audubon because they're on a migratory flight path right on the water, and it's all glass, mm-hmm. and it, it kills a lot of birds. Um, but there are new technologies coming out in addition to putting what you're mentioning, which is a great way to do that aftermarket, to, to put uh, images on it or to try and break up that open look to birds. But there's now windows that are being designed and different studies being done on it where they're actually – uh, changing the patterns within the windows to where we can't see them, but birds can see them and realize that that's, that's not an open space. It, it's something, but I need to fly away from it, not into it. So um, so good question on that, but I think that's a great way to do a kind of aftermarket um, uh, fix uh, uh, with that. Okay. Mikey, thanks for the call. A couple of good suggestions there. Interesting thing about the cardinals and the, the window the spring, we had a female cardinal that was doing the pecking and fighting her image mm-hmm. while the male sat eating on the feeder. <laughs> so I don't know exactly what was going on, but she every every morning and sometimes in the afternoon, she'd be wearing well, her, wearing herself out, you would think. Yeah, I guess that rare occasion, uh, the male <laughs> figured something out and then was being smart, had, had her doing the bidding for him, I guess, I guess so with I that window know. reflection. Yeah. <laughs> and... Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll preface this by saying I've been a Vikings fan my whole life. Uh, but fortunately, 3M is located in Minnesota, and I believe that they were uh, yes. kind of the leaders in that new technology That's in the right. glass to uh, yep. where the birds can see it but the people can't because that it – it is a great stadium, but you're right. That was yeah, a major problem. Yeah, and I'm not just picking on them. I mean, yeah. they're, they're, yeah. you can see it in, in Jackson. You can see it in every town down to the you know small house and like mine and, and Clinton that has – it's just the nature of, of, of the beast, again, pun intended, um, that if you have glass, and I, I like to have big windows so you can see outside, it's just how can we 
try and do this and try to you're never going to eliminate it mm-hmm. uh, but if we can try to reduce uh, the impact uh, because of our choices is is what i was trying to get at with that so exactly let's live together we can both uh, can find some way to, to right. coexist uh so let's talk a little bit about if we could uh trying to attract birds uh, to your backyard uh we and mentioned the top of what is most important but i guess maybe all three are most important water food and shelter so um let's talk first about water if you've got uh, a source of water what what are some things to keep in mind about making sure uh, the birds have available water yeah so a lot of people focus on bird feeders because they're fun they're interactive you can buy bird seed and and the stores love you too because you come and buy more bird seed <laughs> um <clears throat> with that my f- number one recommendation is to have water available particularly if you have a bird feeder and you call me complaining that you don't have a lot of birds I recommend that you try to make sure that you have a couple water sources available. It can be as simple as our caller recommended. There's a lot of garden supply stuff that's on sale now. My water uh, uh, bowls, if you want to say, are simply that bottom uh, fake terracotta plastic that goes Mm -hmm. underneath a pot. You can get those for 50 cents or a dollar sometimes when they're trying to get rid of them at the end of the season. I just put a brick in the center of that to hold it down, but also it gives a station to where a bird can uh, stand on it and reach over and get into the water. So the key thing with water is, excuse me, is it needs to be available. So when we get into, and I noticed, and I got really excited, I looked at the weather next week, there's going to be a 29-degree day next week. <laughs> Yay, go Yankee, you know. Uh, that's how I'm going to be doing backflips in my front yard uh, with that. But water will freeze, especially uh, standing water will freeze, or at least have a crust over it, if you want to say that. Um, so that water is now not available to birds. And when it gets that cold, extended period of time, like we had last winter where we got down into the single digits, um, the number one thing they're running into is they're going to become dehydrated because they're trying to keep their body warm and it goes through all the process. And Dr. Major knows that a lot better than I do. And if you want to get into the weeds on that, we can. But um, water is always going to be number one, then food. Uh, and cover is important to mix into that. And cover provides protection from predators and also areas to stage, like I was describing the chickadee, um, comes in, eats, or it gets water and flies back up because it, that's where it, it, it consumes its food, but also it feels safest doing it uh, from there. Um, so water water is very important. So you can provide that through a simple bowl, like I mentioned, and I've got two of those in my yard, uh, but also have a, a moving water feature so I don't have to necessarily worry about uh, the cold. Um, I have a small backyard pond. When I mean small, it's not much bigger than a, a smaller dining table. Uh, and it has a, a waterfall that I've built out of rocks and it has a pump and it circulates the water through uh, uh, that way. Um, that's good to have. The one thing I would recommend with that for all wildlife is to have either rocks coming up to the side of it or a branch leaning, if you can imagine this on the radio, leaning into the water. Uh, down at an angle so it provides an entry point for animals to get in and out safely you provide like buckets or things that are deep like that with slick walls they can get in but they can't get out in a lot of cases or so that becomes inaccessible or what we call a wildlife trap um you're trying to help wildlife but you're actually killing them uh with that (laughs) so you want to want to have a couple sticks or something where they can get in and out pretty easily uh, uh with that so that's what i would recommend with water and they also make Bird bath water heaters are very common. Um, they have a little element that sits in there um, and will actually keep the water just above freezing so it doesn't freeze over on you. 
Okay. Time for one last break this hour. When we get back, we'll continue our discussion. We're visiting today with Adam Ronke, wildlife biologist for Mississippi State University. Dr. Major is here, ready for some pet questions as well. Call us at one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 7464 or send an email to animals at mpbonline.org. Time for one last bird call this hour. See if you can identify the bird only by its call. We'll have the answer after the break, so stay tuned. Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major and our guest for the day, Adam Ronke, wildlife biologist for Mississippi State University. We've been talking about the birds that we're seeing in Mississippi this time of year. Uh, still time for you to work in a call if you'd like to at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's 877-672-7464. So uh, we had one last bird call during the break, so we'll play it again and then we'll go ahead and identify it for you. Uh, so go ahead. Well, I guess this is kind of like wait, wait, don't tell me. Uh, I'm I'm two uh, two for three today. Uh, you got me good on that one. I, I was leaning towards uh, term, but apparently it's a, a Bonaparte's gull, which we will get here in the winter, uh, uh, pretty much across Mississippi. It's it's common. You'll see it up at the reservoirs uh, across the state, uh, particularly here in Jackson. We'll see it the Barnett Reservoir, um, and I believe it gets all the way down to the coast too. Um, it has more of a when we see it. If you if you're listening and, and Google the picture of it, um, it looks very prominent and, and black uh, head and black bill looks like a gull, um, but very white and everything else looks very similar to a gull. But in the winter time, um, it has a pretty much all white head with a ashy kind of black dot that's a little behind the eye and still maintains that black bill in in the uh, winter time. But uh, that was a very good one, Java. I guess I got a little cocky with the the first two, but uh, you had you had me uh, on that one. But uh, that's a good good bird to see. That's a little more advanced, both in the call and also identifying it out of other gulls uh, with that. But good job, Java. I appreciate it. Although I will say, I think Doctor Major thought it was a turn too. So I'm going to say that was a gull pretending to be a turn. So <laughs> keep everybody happy. Got a couple of calls to get to. Let's start in Starkville. Williams called in today. Good morning, William. You're on the air with us. Good morning. I was going to uh, comment uh, we talk about birds. Uh, a distinguished lecture that took place here in the summer, maybe in the spring, uh, at Mississippi State University. I think it was a Waldorf lecture where where the um, naturalist from uh, golly from Delaware University of Delaware, I think it was, was describing how the imported uh, uh, plants and trees that we have don't support, uh, don't have any natural insect enemies, so therefore they don't produce 
uh, insects, insect larvae that, that help the birds, and how he was describing how the birds uh, are declining. The current issue of Time magazine, uh, on, I think it's on page 10, cites that 60% of the animals, birds, uh, uh, reptiles, and the rest have, have diminished since about 1970. I found it hard to believe, despite the fact that living on the on the edge of a of a forest, we have a home right on the edge of a extensive pine forest here in in Octavia County. I have noticed that that I haven't seen cardinals this year. I see them occasionally, but I haven't seen them uh, trying to fight their reflection in the window or watch them nesting. And I just think that we need to we need to realize what humanity is doing to the planet. If that's happening here in North America, imagine what's happening elsewhere in the world. Art William, thanks for the call. Uh, you bring up a very good point, William. Uh, yes, uh, there's been a lot of reports out uh, lately, and it's, we've been talking about it in, within the wildlife uh, world for, for decades, uh, that, yes, overall species diversity uh, has shown to be uh, decreasing for multiple uh, reasons. Uh, humans, obviously, in our impact are probably the major one, if not the the the, the, the major cause of it. Uh, but it, it's hard to paint with that broad of a, a brush that, yes, overall species diversity across all different uh, taxa, uh, birds, mammals, insects, are decreasing. But they're also within those those groups some uh, species that are increasing. Uh, one would be like European starlings, if we're talking about birds, to where other birds uh, are, are decreasing, like some of our grouse out west. So, um, yes, your, your comment is completely correct, and there's been a lot of uh, coverage lately uh, on that issue. It is a very serious issue, um, and that's why we try to bring it to the forefront as much as we can. And it's going to take a lot of big changes in our behaviors uh, outside of just talking about uh, backyard habitat and providing water um, um, and getting to your original point about the non-native uh, species, that's why I'm a big proponent of of uh, pushing for planting native species because they can not only provide uh, seed and other cover that the birds are acclimated to, but also, like you said, provide other uh, food sources through the insect populations that, that use that area too. And on a personal note, it's a lot easier long-term to manage that for someone like myself that travels a lot, you don't have to maintain a bird feeder all the time uh, for that, and it's a more natural way of doing it. So yes to everything that you said, and I recommend people to read that article. It's on my to-do list to, re to read that, but it has been in the news quite a bit lately and it's something that we need to start making some good decisions on. All right. Uh, got a time for one last call. Becky from Mobile. Becky, if you could be uh, quick, we're, we're pressed for time. Go ahead. Well, I'm not going to keep you long. I just want to make a comment, and I'll turn, I'll turn, I'll hang up and let you talk online. I've noticed that I have no doves, no cardinals, no nothing. I've noticed some chickadees this morning at one of my bird feeders, but it's just strange. I don't see squirrels, and I suspect that we have a hawk that's scaring everybody away. But anyway, thank you for doing what you're doing, and I'm going to hang up and listen. All right, Becky, thanks for the call. 
Uh, very well. Could be a hawk. Um, they do uh, – I, I have to have this conversation with my own mother a lot of times. They get mad at the uh, hawks that come in, but that is part of the food chain. When you build backyard habitat through feeders and these other things, the things that eat the things that you like watching will also come. Um, so that very well could be it. Um, it could be other predators too. There could be a cat that's now visiting your backyard that wasn't before. I've had that issue in my neighborhood. Um, and it also could be the the uh, type of feeders that you're uh, presenting. If it's just a standard perch feeder, uh, morning doves and some of those other birds that you recommended, cardinals will pretty much go anywhere. But uh, doves particularly like to feed on the ground or from platform feeders. A, f- a broader uh, flat feeder like they're on the ground. Uh, so you may try to uh, present some different types of feeders and also seed that way to increase the diversity in your backyard. Okay. And I would imagine if you uh, go to a, a bird store or whatever, they'll give you advice on what sort of feeder might be best to attract what kind oh, yeah. of bird. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, that's going to wrap us up for today. Thanks to everyone who called in, had a good show. Uh, Creature Comforts is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio. Fun and provided in part by you, our generous listeners. To hear today's show or previous show, you can go to mpbonline.org slash Creature Comforts. Our show is produced by Java Chapman, and our call screener today was Michelle McAdoo. So for Dr. Troy Major and our guest, Adam Ronke, I'm Kevin Farrell, inviting you to stay tuned. Up next at 10, it's AutoCorrect with the lady auto mechanic, Allison Walker. We'll be back next Thursday at 9 for another Creature Comforts, heard only on MPB Think Radio. <laughs>